Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Monday, March 6th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, City put pressure on Arsenal. Arsenal, come back like it's the Battle of Kursk. And Spurs slip on Adama Traore's lubed up arms. But first, Liverpool 7, 7, S-E-V-E-N, 7, Manchester United, nil. 7, nil at Anfield. We're going to get right into it. But first, please like, subscribe, share. This is the Squeaky Bum Time podcast. We record about the Premier League. And we need your help to grow the show. Please, you'll find us on YouTube. You'll find us on Twitter. You'll find us on your favorite podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, and let's get to it. So, Manchester United nil, Liverpool 7. I've talked about this uh, this game on the show, or Liverpool on the show, many, many times. And I really want to get into... The power of grounds. We know what happened. Um, first half was pretty even. Um, Liverpool were pressing and United were handling it okay in the first half. Really doing well. And that's what I said in a preview. If Liver, if City, if you, uh, I talk about City so much. If United can stay in the first 25 minutes and be in this game, they'll be fine. And it looked like they were. They actually had some of the better chances earlier on in this game. And it wasn't too nuts, but I think we saw a better version of Liverpool uh, in this game. But then it happened. On 43, um, Dallow is marking Robertson, and Fred is trying to mark him, and Robertson sees a great pass, he actually points to Gakpo to fill the space. Gakpo makes the run. He's out on the wing, goes straight through the United defense. Fred gets turned around, and Gakpo then fakes out Varane, who's coming to fill the space that Fred missed out on, and puts a shot in. Beautiful shot. Liverpool up 1-0. Ensue the scenes. So United then go into the break, down a goal, and you thought, hey, that's not so bad. Liverpool down a goal, no big deal. Uh, I think, you know, nothing about this game said anything that was expected about the second half of this game. I think we kind of get a sense that everything's fine. Like I said, United in the first half had some chances. Anthony missed a good one. Bruno Fernandes missed a header that was really good. And Marcus Rashford shanked the shot. And then also Dallow. So just before the 10 minutes before the Cody Gap, the Cody uh, Gakpo goal, uh, United were in the ascendancy. They were doing okay. Luke Shaw was playing well. Everything was going okay. And you went into the half going, hey, more of the same. Let's see if Liverpool can sustain two halves of good football. I think, you know, if you remember the, the Real game, which is somehow being forgotten in all this, if you remember the Real game, um, you know, 
of, of uh, Liverpool were up two and in the back in the second half, they gave up five because they couldn't sustain their sort of energy. And in this game, they could. So on comes the second half. Within three minutes, Nunez scores a goal on a laser beam cross from Harvey Elliott. And then I think the big one here, and United are still buckling. They're still hanging in there. And I wouldn't say they were done just yet, but they were about to disappear in this game. Anthony had another shot after the Nunez, after the Nunez goal. Anthony took a shot. Then Gakbo scored another, um, a really nice rifled in near post shot. And from there, United completely collapsed. And this is where I want to get into the grounds. Anfield is a destructive war zone of evil. Uh, it has all the ghosts. Everything about it becomes unstoppable and irresistible. When your team is in Anfield playing Liverpool and these moments happen, there's nowhere to go. There is an inevitability. There is power. There are ghosts coming out of the ground. You can't call timeouts like it's basketball. You can't do anything. This also happens in the Arsenal game. And from there, it seems United are just lost. Uh, Ten Hag in the post game disconnects from his player. He specifically mentioned my players disconnected from each other. And I think that's what Anfield does. It swallows players up. It makes them become the worst versions of themselves. And we saw that with Bruno Fernandes complaining about everything, pushing referees, throwing himself to the ground. When when United started pushing, um, they disappeared into nowhere land. And I've got to say, so you've got those two Gakpo goals. You've got Nunez. Liverpool are up three. Liverpool are now just attacking. Mo Salah scores a goal on 66, then Nunez on 75. And, and now everything's just a mess. And United are gone. They are sucked into this energy field of doom that Anfield creates. And I'm so curious about how these grounds hold on to things. The only thing I can think of that would be similar is is a church is is a is it but not just a regular church not some suburban church that was made in the 60s but like your your St Paul's in London or your Notre Dame these places that hold energy through space and time that have everything in them that there's generations of people that have been in there and had seen weddings or seen funerals or seen revolutions or seen wars and soccer football creates so much emotion that it almost manufactures the extreme feelings that time takes for some of those bigger buildings. And Anfield has that in it. There's sons and grandfathers and girls and moms that have lived and seen things at Anfield that they they will onto the field. They think about the 4-3 against um against city in the in the in the in the Champions League they can will the the Barcelona comeback they can will uh, all these games that that I could just go through and, and Liverpool fans probably know them much more than I do in a in a microcosm somehow the Christ Istanbul was that as well um they can will those games into them and the feelings get poured into the players and they lift it up and somehow 
all the problems of Liverpool, all the defensive frailties, all the weakness, everything about Liverpool's season just went out the window. And in this rivalry game, in this moment of the team of the 70s and 80s, Liverpool, defeating the team of the 90s and the 2000s in, in United, those two clashes, those two teams that developed their reputations in the modern era with these two decades of pure dominance, 14 titles for Liverpool in the 70s and 80s, 14 titles for or 17 titles for United in the 2000s and 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 the two in the 90s they they meet in these moments and it's a clash of tectonic plates like it's like it's you know like it's Istanbul like it's like it's St Andrews and in these moments you have to rise or be with it or you get destroyed like a building collapsing and i know that's insensitive with things happening in turkey but that's what it felt like for for sit for united fans it was an earthquake. It was a destruction. And they're still trying to find Lissandro Martinez in the rubble of that game. And Ten Hag had to look at his team and go, where did they go? What happened to this team? And it feels like after this game, all the good work, everything that Ten Hag has done is now undone. That, that United now have to dig themselves out find a way forward, find their footing again, and just can't probably can't wait for the next game. Um, there's no United players that cover themselves in glory. They were all really, really bad. I think about Luke Shaw giving away balls. Casemiro was awful. He had a 40% pass completion rate. I think it's on the I think it's on the the Nunez goal. Yeah, it's on the Nunez goal. No, the second Gakpo goal. Gakpo starts it, gives it off to Salah. And Lissandro Martinez is with Salah. And Luke Shaw is hanging with him. And he doesn't turn his head once to check where Gakpo is. And Gakpo just runs in behind him. Pass goes to him. And it goes like every player had a bad game. Varane getting done on the first Gakpo goal. And then they were all just disconnected, running around, kicking each other. The coaching went out the window. Everything was gone because at this point, United couldn't find any cohesion because everything happened after halftime and there was no changes that could happen. And nothing Ten Hag could, could do. He basically saw his team revert to the first two uh, games of the season. And that's really the United story. For... For Liverpool, they get a feeling, a rub of the green, a feeling of where they were, a feeling of early Klopp or second season Klopp. They get to get that feeling back and go, ah, we're here. We're here. There is nothing about this season for Liverpool that said they should be declining as much as they are. The only thing it could have been was mental belief and energy and, and capability. They needed to believe again. This is it's incredible that this is the same team that lost to Real Madrid. It's incredible that this is the team last week that was nil-nil to um to Crystal Palace. It's incredible that this is the same team that lost three-nil to Wilms, but it is indeed the same team. And for them to put this performance together, it can't not lift them up. But they are in the same boat as United are, in a sense that all the bad work that came up to this game gets cleared away and they can go, Oh, we're ourselves again. So they really need to find out who they are early game against Bournemouth. 
listen, Bournemouth were tough. I know that they're a bottom relegation team, but all these teams in the Premier League are really good. And and Liverpool will have an early game that they have to deal with. Um, but all of a sudden, it's all possible. Like, Liverpool fans can convince themselves that they're going to turn around a 5-2 against a weakened uh, Real Madrid, which stranger things have happened. If they were at home, I might believe it. But for the heroes of this, uh, Bobby Firmino scoring that late goal after announcing that he's going to leave the team, uh, Darwin Nunez, everything they shot went in. Just to give you a sense, Liverpool scored seven goals on eight shots on target. That's unheard of. First of all, you don't usually get eight shots on target, let alone eight shots on target that go in. The conversion rate is through the roof. So these are these moments. These are the things that can happen when a team's defense disappears, when there is no cohesion. This is all of a sudden the numbers and the stats that my nerdiness uh, comes up with. Those go out the window because you're not defending anymore. This is what happens when teams aren't coached. And we sort of don't really realize the margins on these teams and how great they really are. That if one team loses its focus and loses its energy and the Anfield cauldron gets to them, these kind of things can happen. For United, they set a record. They've lost 7-0 for the first time um, since the 30s. Worst defeat in Premier League history. Uh, they did lose 6-3 to City this season. They lost 4-0 to Brighton. They lost 3-0 to, um, to Brentford. So it's in this team. It's not that there's different players. I think for Ten Hag, he's got to be like, hey, this can't happen. We're not doing this anymore. This is done. A uh, couple other heroes to call out for Liverpool. The Harvey Elliott was really good. I didn't even realize it, but Harvey Elliott has appeared in every single Liverpool game in the league this year. So he's the young legs. He's that transitional player. He probably would have done it the year before, but he broke his leg, if we remember. Uh, Trent had a good game. Everybody, for, for Liverpool, everyone had a good game. There was nothing there. And then for United, everyone had a bad game. It was really just that poor of a performance and that bad of, a, of what you can see. And it's, again, it's the grounds. It's football, it's history, and I have to say, as we, I get so jealous because for City, it, this is the stuff that can't be manufactured. This is the stuff that the aristocratic teams, the legacy teams have. You have the Camp Nou, you have the Santiago Bernabeu, you have Old Trafford, you have, I'm going to say it, Ellen Road, the City Ground, all these older stadiums that hold history and time, and space, and memories that the supporters can transmit back onto their team. Uh, Goodison Park last season during the uh, relegation run that Frank Lampard was able to tap into. Aston Villa has it. All these clubs that have these great grounds that have time and history on their side. There's nothing like it in American sport at all. Uh, Fenway. Yeah, old, even... No, only Fenway is left. Even because New Yankee Stadium is just doesn't have it. The ground doesn't shake. Um, no modern stadiums have it because we've sacrificed tradition for commerce. While somehow European football has managed to toe the line of having both. Oh, I should be remiss. I should not leave out Selhurst Park, even though it's a little bit dormant at the time there's so many clubs in england that have this energy that they can transmit the energy from the players 
in the stands, onto the field, through history, through shared feeling, through shared commitment, through sheer will. It can be done. And that's going to take me on to the Arsenal game. A game that upset me beyond comprehension. So uh, if you don't know, I'm here on the West Coast of California, on the West Coast of the United States in California. And um, the early kickoff games start at 5 a.m. So I did get up for this game, but I got up a little bit later than I would have. <laughs> Sorry, I had been up. Wait, what am I talking about? No, I, I went back to sleep. Sorry, I got up early for the City game and woke up seeing Arsenal being down 2-0 in the 3 p.m. kickoff. I got it. Now I'm back in action. My timing was all off. And I noticed that, you know, I got my hopes up. I saw Bournemouth up two. They scored a goal within nine seconds. They basically did an onside kick and Philip Billing, probably Bournemouth's better players who would get sold, scored a goal. And then at halftime, Marco Sinesi on a corner. So I would say that Arsenal were playing well and doing fine, but still down 2-0. And I think Arteta really showed that. But this is really about something that Arsenal is experiencing and something that Mikel Arteta should get a lot of credit for. He has emphasized creating a winning fan culture within the Emirates. They have this new drumming group of guys in black shirts that did not exist before. Whoever thought of that for Arsenal, I don't know where it came from. They have a name. Excuse me if I don't know. Um, but, you know, they drove the fans at the Emirates drove Arsenal on. First party brings in a goal uh, on 62. So Arsenal 2-1, they're back at it. If I remember, the party goal was just, he kind of, yeah, ML Smith throwing a nice cross. Then a few minutes after that, Ben White on a cross from Reese Nielsen, who had just come on, more on him later. All the changes that, <laughs> that Arteta makes just seemed to work. At halftime, Ben White came on for Tomiyasu. He scored a goal. Then, you know, ML Smith Rowe, not starting for ages, sets up party. Then on comes Reese Nelson for Smith Rowe, who within minutes sets up Ben White for the leveler. So at that point, on 70, Arsenal on a level, and they just proceed to go full siege. We're not losing this fucking game. And there's about, from 70 to about 83 minutes, there's a full-on siege mentality and you got the sense that arsenal were going to get a winner for those 15 minutes but then there's a little bit of a lull you get you start to feel like arsenal are running out of gas they can't find the energy to break down bournemouth and they're doing a good job bournemouth to give them a lot of credit and it's going along Odegaard's trying to get on the ball and take shots from far away saka has a couple shots there's a header that's deflected and then we get into extra time. They add seven minutes. And somehow within this seven minutes, Arsenal start to find energy again. Start to find, turn the screws again. And on 97, the last kick of the game, corner kick bounces out to Reese Nelson. He's so calm. He's so cool. He's so collected off the chest. Takes a touch, edge of the box. And when I say he rifles this motherfucker into the top corner, 
I mean, he rifles it. And the scenes at the Emirates, yeah, you get goosebumps just thinking about it. The scenes at the Emirates are league winning scenes. So the amount of energy expended by Arsenal, the amount of emotion by Arsenal to pull themselves out of the ground, off the shelf, off the mat, to win this game that they looked like they were going to draw. I was fucking livid. I was like, fucking Arsenal fucks. God damn it. Uh, because I'm I'm City and I wanted City. I, I saw myself being uh, a point back to being two points back to being back to five within a course of 15 minutes. So, um, but you can't help but love football. Uh, when I take my fan, my supporter hat off and I just look, I just look at the games and I can sort of step back and, and close my eyes and think of the feelings I have for my team winning Aguero or winning games against Bournemouth. I can think of, I can see Raheem Sterling running into the stands in Bournemouth's first season or the Vinny goal. The feelings those give you are the heroin, are the drug that I talked about in the last episode. They are the thing that lift you up and make you love football again over and over again. It's why we support football. It's why you love your club. It's why the Emirates is alive. It is now creating its own institutional memories that it didn't have. Arsenal had been lamenting the loss of Highbury for years. I don't think any Arsenal fan would deny that they've not been the same since they left their ground. And it's taken 20 years for them to create new memories in their new ground. It's been good for their business, but it's not been good for their football. It's not been good for the heart. Football's a lot of emotion. We, I know Manny and the group, we all sort of kid around and talk about expected goals and all this stuff. But ultimately, it is about spirit. It's a game of spirit and hope and pushing. And yes, the tactics and the analytics can tell us about what we saw, but how those stats and how those performances are generated comes from the players executing and and being lifted up. And, hey, how do you find that pace in your passing? Like, that's what happened with Liverpool, and that's what happened with Arsenal. They just were able to channel the passion and love of their players willing them to win the game. I mean, Reese Nelson, the kid who scored the goal, has been with Arsenal since he's eight years old. I mean, what does that feel like? Arsene Wenger gave him his debut. The Basically, like, the dad of the club, the grandfather of the club. Modern Arsenal lives through Arsene Wenger. And here we have this connection to this boy who's been at the club since he's eight years old and battled injury and done all these things. And he's able to stay calm in that moment and deliver a joy for 60,000, 50,000 people that cannot be replicated by any sport. No sport does this. I guarantee you, no sport can do what football does. And so that was the, those are the big talking points of the weekend. And we go on to uh, Manchester City my team playing probably the toughest the toughest game in terms of matchups i mean well i guess liverpool and and city but for city we had a tough game uh when we were the early game uh the early kickoff in in the etihad 
And it was uh, easy, frankly. City played. I mean, the the joke here is it's it's Abu Dhabi versus the PIF. It's oil versus oil. It's all these things. But for City, we had it to win. Didn't play great. I thought that um that Newcastle did show their quality, but they're lacking goals. I've been talking about this for a while. They just cannot get that Almiron magic back. City scored their goal early in the first half. Phil Foden just individual brilliance he just takes a ball runs through the entire uh defense of um of newcastle and just puts it through on his own it's just like an amazing goal again early in the game first 15 minutes then city kind of cruise for a while and just control the game uh they do give up a couple of chances that i think ultimately um newcastle will rue callum wilson shanked one Joe Linton missed one entirely. Uh, Anthony Gordon played, but didn't do much. And I think, who's the other one? Someone else missed one. I can't remember. Joe Linton and 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 Callum Wilson, for sure. Uh, and then late in the game, when actually Newcastle was coming into the game and I was getting worried, Bernardo Silva, who had come on for De Bruyne, touch pass from Holland into Holland, off, lays it off to Bernardo Silva, who has a fraction of a second touch and fire within boom, boom and city win this game fairly easily without really a problem. And at that point they had put the pressure on Arsenal to win. So, you know, when we get into these crazy title races that Liverpool and, and uh, city have been in and it's neck and neck, when you play, starts to matter. Who's the early game? Who has to chase? Who has to follow? Who has to happen? So uh, these are the things that happen. And City have the experience, and City can handle this stuff. Uh, I'm ne- I'm less worried about City handling it and more whether Arsenal can. And I think that's part of what's happening with Arsenal is they're giving up goals. They're living on emotion. I don't know if they can live on this much emotion. I'm sure Arsenal would love to have a game that's an easy 2-0 versus Newcastle. They did have it last week against Leicester, but they're on a four-game winning streak, and the race will keep on keeping on as we keep on moving through the games of the week. Uh, We move on to our friends at um, in Stanford Bridge. Finally! Oh, Grand Potter gets his win. This is not a great game by any stretch, but for Potter, it was a much, much, much needed win. They win at home versus Leeds on a set-piece goal by Fofana. Wesley Fofana, probably the best player for Chelsea in this. And, you know, Chelsea still able to build up, still almost looking like a team that can score, looking like they can get things done. Joe Felix hit the post. I think they hit the post twice again. Joe Felix just seems to be hitting the post all the time. Fernandez controlling this game, having hundreds of touches in the back. Kulabali not making a mistake. You know, things moving along and being okay in the way that they play. Uh, Chilwell had some good moves there. And their buildup is still fine. I think that's the thing with Chelsea is their buildup is still really, really good. They can go from the defensive third into the midfield, everything looks great. Once they get into the final third, everything goes wrong. Um, Havertz still doesn't really do much for us. Uh, Raheem Sterling, like I said, I told you he was a product of City. 
guy can't score goals unless you create them for him. Uh, he's a terrible finisher and we're seeing he's back to his sort of late Liverpool sense or early Pellegrini stuff. The midfield's strong for, um, for Chelsea. And then on the other side, you know, Leeds created chances and in the last 10 minutes really put Chelsea under pressure, uh, had the last, had six of the last seven shots in the game. And from 80 on, it was about, you know, Chelsea hanging on and getting a win because without the sort of, you know, defensive frailty that you'd expect it, the nervousness comes in, everything comes in and Potter at the end just blows out his cheeks a couple times, like a, like a frog trying to get laid and he gets his team off to Schneid. And now they have to go again and try and string things together. Chelsea do have Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, I think tomorrow or Wednesday. So they'll get themselves back together, get themselves moving, get themselves into the direction they need to be in in order to sort of try and salvage this season and try and get themselves a hand on the ring, a hand on the rope to truly try and pull themselves forward. Um the crowd at Stanford Bridge is not really helping them. I know, I mean, this theme of this episode has been the grounds and how that can move um, teams. Stanford Bridge, wealthier area, has probably priced out its working class folks, so you're not seeing as much of that oomph as you'd like to. But, you know, they do, they are nervous. They are trying to pull for Potter, and I think Potter gets a reprieve uh, for now, so lucky on him. We now move on to the great and powerful um, <laughs> Tottenham. They lose to Wolves. Uh, another one of these, like, come on, man. Come on, Spurs. Come on. How this team is so weird. Spurs just find, just put in these really bad per performances. In this case, yeah, they hit the post a couple times. They won the XG battle, but you know, when you're down a goal late, you know, it's not really as interesting. Um, Pedro Poro hit the post. I don't know what he was doing out there on the wing, but I Spurs are drifting. Like I said, they don't have, they missed the FA cup. They're in this league. They still have their game against Milan to try and go through, but I don't think anyone who's a Spurs fan feels really good about where they are right now. Uh, the Fraser Froster thing, his he was somewhat at fault for the Triore goal. Uh, it's a shot that goes off him. He makes a save. The save goes to Triore, and Triore fashions it home with all his um, with all his lube on. He had come on at halftime um, for Lamina, who I think was complaining and on a card as usual. And Spurs just don't have anything coming off the bench right now. Uh, Richarlison is a is a shell of himself. Mora came on. They're not even playing Danjuma. They have all these guys, but it feels like Conte's taken one too many shots. You know, he's unhealthy. His friend died. There's just the the way I've put it is Spurs season is taking on the morning of Conte. It feels like a it feels like they're morning. They play like they're morning. There's just not much there without Kane making it happen. Kulishevsky, who was so good in the back half of last season, has never been able to get that create 
creativity going. Son, we know, just led the league in goals last year, joint top with 23. He's not, he doesn't even have 10 yet. He's got probably like seven or eight this season. So it's really not coming off for them. And if Kane doesn't do stuff, they don't do anything. Um, they've been better defensively, even though uh, they gave up a goal today. I didn't even see this. Look, Kane, I mean, Sun is on five goals. Five. And that's not even like an XG mistake. He's literally bad. Normally, he is reliable as all hell. He's one of the best finishers you could find. His XG, his, he always had a plus XG. Plus seven, plus seven, plus two, plus five, plus 1.8. Now he's at minus. His finishing skills and confidence have gone out the window. And so that reliability of Sun has really, really hurt Spurs uh, this season. And they're basically just living off Kane. It used to be you could live off Kane and Sun, and that might get you in the top four. But now they don't even have that. It's just Kane. Uh, and they are hanging on. They are still in the top four. But I think at this point, and we'll go through the table later on, at this point, um, where they are is is just hanging on to the top four. And they may be able to squeak it by, but there was an interesting question on the Totally Football show that I listened to and get a lot of inspiration from. And they asked the question is, does Wolves have a better squad than Spurs? They might, you know. They might, you know. The only difference is, is that Wolves doesn't have a great striker, but in terms of players coming off the bench, you know, Ain't Nori, Collins, Cunha, Moutinho, Jao Gomez, Dama Traore, they had guys to come in that could change the game. And Spurs just don't have that. And I wonder if Conte's, Conte's dour kind of sadness is is draining this team of effervescent. I know that Spurs want Spurs fans want to hear this. I know you're ready. I know it's time. I know we're looking to forward to it. But I think it's time for Pochettino to come back. You heard it here first. The return of Pochettino is on the cards for our friends <laughs> for our friends uh there but let's go through the rest of the scores uh in the premier league just because it's so so important um we'll start just chronological order like i said city defeating manchester uh, newcastle united 2-0 at home had put pressure on arsenal good stuff from foden good stuff from bernardo then wolves in the 3 p.m game defeated tottenham brighton Deserby destroys West Ham. West Ham, after defeating uh, Forest 4-0, then get their own asses kicked, and it was a catastrophe. More McAllister scoring. Matomo was great. And then Danny Welbeck. Again, whenever Danny Welbeck scores a worldie, you know you're in trouble. West Ham were terrible. The XG machine, 3.5 to 0.3. Ooh. Uh, we love Deserby. We love, love love what's happening at Brighton. I haven't been able to watch them and love them as much as I normally do, but they are moving and kicking ass. I got so excited that I forgot that I have to get back to the rest of the scores. Um, <laughs> um, Chelsea defeating Leeds. Aston Villa defeating Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, winless, winless. wow e wow uh, Buendia has been fantastic. For Aston Villa, they get their goal on a on a own goal by my friend Jackie Anderson. Doesn't matter. They do what they're supposed to do. They're playing era free football. Sadly, Ollie Watkins' five goal game scoring streak has 
ended. Then we know 3-2 Bournemouth. Wow. Then the last game on Saturday was Southampton won. Leicester City nil. Oh, no. Brendan Rodgers, you suck. My friend Carlos Alcaraz, really, really fun for Bournemouth. Southampton have good players, but Leicester were terrible. They missed so many open shots. My friend Kalechi Iannaccio, oh, my friend, my friend, you hit the bar way too many times. And I mean open goals. I don't care what XG says, you fucking missed. So Leicester will feel hard done it. They shouldn't have won this. But Ruben Sellis, I think, is a good coach. He looks the part. You know what's funny about him? He looks like he's a good manager. He's got the right intensity. He's got the turtleneck. He looks clean. He looks ready to go. I like where Southampton's are. And then Sunday, the early game before we had the United game, our friends from Forest, Christian, sharing his, his time. What a game. Everton 2, Nottingham Forest 2, back and forth, up and down. Very little structure in this game. Uh, as I was watching it, all I could think of is, when I watch City and I see how they play versus watching Everton and Nottingham Forest play, these players are getting the ball, then thinking about where the ball has to go. There's no structure about knowing two passes ahead. These guys are just running up and down, shooting and trying to kick each other. It was amazing. I really love Brendan Johnson. Brendan Johnson, excuse me. He's so good. Gibbs White and Johnson really make Forest go. You get the sense that Forest has the goals in them to get this done. And for Everton, this is a, a win that they would have wanted. They would have expected, hey, we scored two goals. We're supposed to win. They were up a goal twice and blew it. Um, so Everton really probably wanted this win. But I, I like where Dyche is. But the fact that they scored two and didn't win for Everton will be brutal. Uh, we know about Forest. Forest, great at home terrible away from home in fact they're almost two different teams same thing with Everton Everton good almost everywhere can't score uh, away from home so this draw feels about right both teams will take a point and go okay okay uh, Everton will feel like they this is a loss they're still in a relegation zone but it is tight 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 like a oh I got something terrible I wanted to say something about nuns but that's I'm just going to stick with uh, with with what I was. And then the Monday game that just happened, Brentford 3, Fulham 2. In the reverse fixture of this, it was 3-2 at Craven Cottage. But in this one, Mateus Jensen gets the winner after um, – oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Brentford were up what, – what, what am I saying? No, sorry. They – <laughs> Pinnock scores first, then Solomon again on a streak, five goals in a row coming this time started. Tony on an amazing penalty. I don't know how the hell he does it. Then Mateus Jensen to put them up 3-1. Carlos Vinicius gets a gets a consolation goal late to make it 3-2 on 89 on 980 on 99 minutes. But uh a good game, a really fun game. Brentford came and blitzed Fulham. Then Fulham got back into the game, got their goal, and then late on uh mid-second half, Tony they draw a penalty and uh, Brentford get the win again these teams at home on a on a night game Brentford is about as good a bet at home on a on under the lights as there is um, I think BJ talked about them making it to Europe they're quite close they're on nine but uh, not quite yet but let's go through some scheduling because I think there's a lot of stuff going on and I don't I want to make sure I don't miss anything uh, let's do scheduling of the Champions League and then go through the table. So of our three friends in the Champions League, um, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, 
Spurs and and um oh god I don't even Chelsea Spurs City and Liverpool only City do we feel good about uh Liverpool down 5-3 on aggregate they play on the 15th so next week City play on the 14th they play Leipzig tomorrow uh Chelsea play Dortmund they've got to turn around a one goal deficit at home remember they haven't scored two goals since the war of 1812 and spurs at home against milan milan are not in particularly good form but neither are spurs uh milan sitting um oh god milan not doing well in the league lost on the weekend and have not been playing well for quite some time so Spurs trying to turn around a 1-0. Chelsea trying to turn a 1-0. Uh, Potter, I think, can get a lot of credit if they can defeat Dortmund. Dortmund, on a run of 10 in a row, have not lost and are top of the Bundesliga right now. So I don't know where that goes. But next week, we'll find out who goes to the quarterfinal round and we finish up the round of 16. If you're into some of these teams, Bayern and PSG is the big one coming up on Wednesday. Um no Neymar, which is actually good for PSG because Neymar stinks. Um, and then let's go to the table. See where we are there. Uh, Arsenal, top of the table on 63 with a five-point lead. Your top four, City and United. There's a big gap now, eight, nine points between uh, City and United. Spurs, four points behind City. And Liverpool sitting in fifth with a game in hand, three points behind Tottenham. I can't believe that that happened. Liverpool were terrible. Um, Newcastle sitting in six. They've really slipped over the last few weeks. All those draws have really hurt them. They've now lost. They haven't won in, I think, eight games. Fulham take their L. They're in seventh. Brighton on plus 14 on 38 in eighth, scoring goals for fun. Then Brentford on plus eight in ninth, followed up by Chelsea sitting exactly mid-table, tied with the great and powerful Aston Villa. Can you imagine if Gerard hadn't been the coach all year? Then in 12th, somehow Crystal Palace, without winning any games, are sitting in 12th, tied with Wolves on uh, 27. Basically, any of these teams from 12 down, because there's a gap between Villa and Palace, uh, a seven-point gap, from 12 down could be in relegation. So Palace and Wolves on 27. Forest on 26, Leicester on 24, West Ham on 23, Leeds in 17th on 22, ahead on goal difference with Everton, who are also on 22, with Southampton and Bournemouth on 21. What three from these four is the problem? What an incredible relegation knife fight we have. Now, we've got a good battle at the top. We've got a good battle for top four, and we've got a good battle for the relegation zone. Really good season. Stories everywhere. I am loving it. I hope that you guys do too. And I think that it's time for me to go. That was the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with your host, Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. We love it. Let's all try and create our own Anfields and feel the joy of football as often 